welcome to True Crime IRL, true crime in real life. I'm your host, Kelly Barron's Brink. All right. Okay. Boy, this so, looks good. I like the Zoom. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. 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 It's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Willis Morgan, thank you for joining me today. We're going to talk a little bit. Actually, you're going to be interjecting some thoughts into my Jeffrey Dahmer episode that I'm going to be doing here pretty soon. And you shared with me some information that I did not know about. Jeffrey Dahmer and one of his potential victims from the past. First off, I would like you to tell me a little bit about yourself, your background with this case and everything. Um, Just introduce my listeners to you. Okay. Well, as you said, my name is Willis Morgan. I'm originally from New York. I graduated from a small town at the end of Long Island. I graduated from Belport High School. After high school, I went to Suffolk County Community College for a short time. And then after that, I joined the United States Air Force as a police officer. Okay. Oh, nice. All right. While I was in the military, my parents had moved down to South Florida, Miami. And so when I was discharged from the Air Force, I had also come down to South Florida. That's how I ended up down here. And that was in 1972. And I took a job with the Miami Herald, the largest newspaper in Florida. Yes, it is. And back then, when I started working, we were working a four-day work week, which was 40 hours a week, but 10-hour shifts, four days a week. My off days in 1981 were Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So Monday was my middle day off. And on July 27th, 1981, I decided to have lunch at the Hollywood Mall, because there was a deli in there, which was called the uh, the Hollywood Mall Deli, but it was actually affectionately called, I should say, the German Deli, because it was primarily German. So I, I went there, I wanted to have a pastrami sandwich on rye with my German potatoes. Not that I'm German. <laughs> <laughs> well, German potatoes are delicious. They are. So I went there to have lunch. And then while I was in the mall, I decided to stop off in Radio Shack first. And I had an encounter in Radio Shack that was so bizarre that I never made it to the deli. This guy approached me and he was trying to start a conversation with me. I had no idea who it was. How old were you at this time? I don't want to do the math, but. At that time, I was 34 in 1981. I'm going on 75 now. Yeah. So I was 34. And this guy looked like about 20 years old. That was the age I gave when I went to the police. My description, I told him 20. Years later, I would find out he was actually 21. So I was only off by one year. He was disheveled, reeking of alcohol, and just very bizarre, very bizarre. Mm -hmm. Because he was trying to smile, but he had this dead dull look in his eyes. And he was trying to be friendly. After I wouldn't respond to him, it became even more bizarre. You know, so bizarre that when he finally stomped out of the radio shack, to keep the encounter short, I knew somebody was going to be in trouble. I actually knew it. I had that gut instinct in me because of the way he was, the way he had approached me. Right. But I never thought a six-year-old kid would be in trouble. My thinking at the time was that he was going to approach somebody maybe around my age, an adult, maybe, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30, whatever, you know, and there would be words exchanged, maybe a shoving match or a fight. My thinking was somebody might need help or maybe a witness or something. So I was watching him. I actually watched him turn into Sears and go all the way to the back of Sears to the toy department. I saw him walk into the toy department. 
I stood there for a minute wondering what this guy was doing in the toy department. Yeah. But my thinking was, I know toy departments are where kids play on those video games. Yeah. Yeah. And this was 1981. Yeah. So my thinking then was that this guy who was about 20 was probably playing the video games himself. And I wasn't going to stand there all day. So I turned around and left. And in fact, to show you how bizarre that encounter was, even after before I actually exited the mall, I turned around and looked to make sure this guy didn't follow me back because I didn't want to have an encounter out in the parking lot. Yeah, he made that much of an impression on you that he, he knew did. he did he was dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And I went home. It was that very same evening. I was in the kitchen. I had the TV on to one of the local news stations. I don't remember which station it was now, but it was one of the local news stations. And I was making a sandwich in the kitchen. And I hear on the TV in the living room something about uh, a missing child. And then I'm hearing Hollywood Ball. And I'm thinking, Hollywood Ball, that's where I was this afternoon. And then I hear the mentioned Sears and then the toy department and then the time of the day. I'm thinking, oh, my God, that guy, that guy did it. Mm -hmm. It had to be that guy. I knew it had to be that guy. I mean, I didn't follow him all the way to the toy department for nothing. Right. I just didn't know who this guy was. He never told me his name. Mm -hmm. So I would never know who he was until 10 years later. Yes. In the meantime, the Hollywood police chief were going after the Walsh's house guest, James Campbell. Mm -hmm. In spite of the fact that witnesses were coming forward, they made a composite that looked nothing like James Campbell. Mm -hmm. They saw a kid being tossed into a blue van, multiple witnesses. One witness even gave them a partial tag number. Mm -hmm. But they were discounting everybody. They were so zeroed in on James Campbell. In fact, they were so zeroed in, some of these other attempted abductions, like the one in uh, South Beach Plantation, Deerfield Beach, and then it was one in Riviera Beach as well. The one in Riviera Beach was two weeks before Adam. Exactly two weeks. It was on a Monday. July 13th. Keep in mind, Adam was July 27th on a Monday. Wow. Okay, this was in a Twin City mall, another mall with another Sears. This abduction happened where? The toy department. At the same time of day by a white male with a blue van. Mm. They made composites. Now, when Adam was abducted, the police chief from Riviera Beach, which is just north of West Palm Beach, called the Hollywood Police Department and told them, hey, we think our case is related. Everything is matching. Including yeah. the composites. It had to be. Yeah. Hollywood even sent two detectives up to up to West Palm Beach to investigate. In their investigation, they dismissed the police chief. They dismissed all the witnesses and the composites. Even though they matched the composites from the Hollywood Mall, they dismissed them. You know why? They didn't look like James Campbell. And he didn't have a blue van. So they dismissed them. Even though it matched the Hollywood Mall. In fact, what they did, the witness from the Hollywood Mall, his name is Timothy Pottenberg, that made the original bolo to be on the lookout for the blue van mm-hmm. and the composite. Cause it was yep. on the, they had that on the, on the dashboard of every police car had that composite with the description of the vehicle. Yeah. And they accused Timothy of seeing two weeks earlier, the twin city mall incident on TV and making his composite look like that one to match that. And, oh. and so that's why they discounted it. Instead yeah. of discounting yeah. James Campbell. They're discounting right. Witnesses from multiple locations right. of attempted abductions. Adam may right. have been the only successful abduction because the mm-hmm. kid in the Twin City Mall was 10 years old. And most of these mm-hmm. other locations were like 10 years old, 10, okay. 11 years old. Adam was six. Yeah, they all got away except for Adam. Mm-hmm. Adam was unable to get away. Yes. I just wanted to say why they went after James Campbell because they had a good reason to go after him. 
But the thing is, you don't get so zeroed in that when you have composites coming in that don't match and descriptions from multiple locations, you don't you just throw them out. Keep one guy because you think he's your suspect. And the reason yeah. they did that was because James Campbell, during his interrogation, admitted that he was in a, having an affair with John Walsh's wife, Reve, for a couple of years. And he admitted he proposed marriage to her. Mm-hmm. But she turned him down because she had a son with John being Adam. So the police were thinking, ha-ha, get rid of the kid, you get the wife. Because that's the yeah. played out many times that you know, oh as, all as, the time it, right so that's what they were thinking and they were so zeroed in on him with blinders they couldn't get past that but eventually they did get past that and then they ended up looking at Otis tool serial right. killer Otis tool as the murderer a few years later right. so how did that happen how did they zero in then from their first suspect over to Otis tool how did that transpire Right. Well, what happened was they only gave up on uh, James Campbell because of John Walsh. He hired an attorney for James. His name was John Varon, and he was known as the Silver Fox because he was one of the great defense attorneys in Broward County down here. And he wrote a letter to the Hollywood Police Department saying that they are no longer to even speak to James without his permission and without him being there. Okay. It was because of that letter that they stopped interrogating James Campbell. John Walsh thought James was innocent. Oh, yes. Not only that, but he passed three polygraph exams and they still wouldn't let him go. You know, the lead detective, they got into an argument with detective that gave him polygraph. What happened was uh, this detective, his name is Joe Matthews. He's the one that got, ended up getting the case closed, by the way. And he's the author of Bringing Adam Home. OK, but he was a detective for the Miami Beach Police Department. We'll get on to Otis Tool, but let me just finish this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he was a detective for the Miami Beach Department, and he also owned a company, his own company, on the side called the Southern Institute of Polygraph. Okay. So the Hollywood Police Department hired his company to do the polygraphs of the Walshes and James Campbell, and he passed James Campbell three times and exonerated the Walshes. So before we get to Otis too, I want to just mention a little bit uh, how Joe Matthews got involved in the case. Yep. So he exonerated the Walshes and James Campbell. And years later, in 1987, Fox TV came up with this uh, TV show mm-hmm. that actually originated in Germany and England. Then it came to the United States. And when it came to the United States, they named it America's Most Wanted. Yes. And that's how most of us know who John Walsh is. Exactly. Yeah. But John Walsh wasn't their first pick. They had like three different choices. But in the end, they ended up settling on John Walsh as a host because of his uh, son being murdered. He would make a great host for that show. Mm -hmm. So um, Detective Joe Matthews heard about John being the host of the show. So he called John and befriended him. And John Walsh, even though he wrote his book, Tears of Rage, the rage being the incompetence of the investigation by the Hollywood Police Department Mm -hmm. and these detectives. Mm -hmm. He wrote his book and in his book, he called these detectives the biggest a bunch of bumbling, stumbling idiots since the Keystone Cops. Mm -hmm. That's John Walsh's quote. Yeah. But now that Detective Joe Matthews is befriending him, John Walsh ends up hiring this detective. This is what a lot of people don't realize. He was hired as the senior lead investigator on America's Most Wanted. Okay. So now John Walsh had one of these, quote unquote, bumbling, stumbling, idiot detectives right in his midst, feeding him false information for years, 12 years. That's how long he was on that shelf as a senior lead investigator yeah. for 12 years. And he's the one that propagated that fake theory about Otis Tool. 
Okay. That's where it comes in. Okay. That's where this detect. Yeah. So Matthews just didn't come up with that name, Artist 2, out of the blue. Right. Several years later, Artist 2 injected himself into the case. Mm-hmm. But they went up to interview him. And everything he said, he couldn't get anything right. It took him about four months to end up dismissing him as a viable suspect. But in the meantime, other police departments were also having him as a suspect because he was claiming to hundreds of murders all over the United States. Yeah, he did. He claimed that that he was a part of many murders as a serial killer and he was a liar. <laughs> he didn't do those yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a serial confessor. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Police departments across the United States started dismissing him because his timelines were, were clashing. He committed a murder the same day in New Jersey, the same day he committed one in California. You know, Right. They were all having to dismiss him. Some of them even closed cases, had to reopen them. Wow. <laughs> this is how incompetent cops can be sometimes when they, ha- when they have such a great desire to close cases, you know. Very true. Yes. So I just inject them into the case and they ended up dismissing him after a couple months, four months, I think it was about. In 2000, uh, I think it was 2007, Rave Walsh told John that she wanted to have the case closed. So she wanted to get a detective that could investigate the case and have it closed. So they called Joe Matthews. They remembered him. So they asked him if he could do it. He did what the Walshes wanted. He closed the case. Okay. But he closed it on an innocent man just to have it closed. That's that's not right. 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 In 2008, the police chief closed the case. Blaming it on Otis Tool. Blaming it on Otis Tool. Right. Gotcha. And when he closed that case, you know, Matthews, after he closed the case, wrote his book based on his manuscript that he gave to the police chief. Okay. He gave this, uh, I think it was like a 400 page manuscript that he named after himself, of course. Mm-hmm. And it was called the Matthews Report. Matthews claimed he wanted that report to be used as an instruction manual for police departments across the United States on how to solve cold cases, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but yet when I filed a lawsuit against him, all of a sudden you can't find that manuscript anywhere. Oh, wow. Except for his book, mm-hmm. which is based on that manuscript. That's as close as you're going to get mm-hmm. in that book. You will not hear the name of not any of the witnesses. Yet Matthews claims he's called every single living witness. My name nor any other witness's name is not in his book. Okay. Right. The only witnesses he has are Otis Tool's cellmates who claim, yeah, everybody in prison knows he did it, mm-hmm. which is not evidence. Right. So you were an actual witness in the police. Well, I didn't or, write a statement. Yeah. Right. You gave. But I did go to the police yeah. in 1981. All right. But they completely dismissed me, you know. Did they? Okay. They, they practically kicked me out. I felt like a jerk for even wasting my time going there. I mean, oh. The police officer I talked to was very nasty, very condescending, you know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And he asked me if I had uh, received to prove I was there. Like, uh, you know, he made me feel like I was just there for attention and making this yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. And then he asked me if I got the tag number of the vehicle and I tried to explain to him about the radio shack and I never went outside. This was in radio mm-hmm. shack, this encounter. And I saw him walk into the toy department and then he dismissed yep. me with, um, yeah. Okay. If we need you, we'll call you. Yeah. And I left. They never did call you. They never called me, but days later, that's when those composites started coming out. Mm-hmm. And I knew when I saw the composite from Timothy Pottenberg's composite from the Hollywood mall, I knew that, 
whoever made that composite, because I didn't know Timothy at the time, whoever made the composite saw the same guy I saw. Because mm-hmm. I didn't think I could make it any better. Yeah. You know, it's about as close as you're going to get at considering what a composite is. You know, it's made after the fact. Yeah, it's made by a witness describing to a composite artist that has to draw the composite that never seen the mm-hmm. suspect. So you're not going to get a perfect likeness, but it was a close enough likeness that I knew. And my thinking was, well, I could make a better composite. So at least now they have the composite. There's nothing more I have to offer. So then I didn't even bother trying to call them back. And, you know, of course, you know, what they say about hindsight being 2020, if I had to do it over again, I would have called them back and I would have insisted on speaking to some other detective other than the one I talked to when I first yeah. went there, who was so nasty and condescending. Yeah. And maybe I could have made a little headway, but I didn't. I just let it go. And it was like, but I was, like I said, I was working for a newspaper. So I was reading and keeping up on the case. And I Mm -hmm. kept reading about how they were going after James Campbell. Mm -hmm. And my thinking was, well, if they ever charge this guy, I would come to his aid, you know, because I know he didn't have anything to do with it. Because yeah, it was the guy that I encountered. You know, they say, Kelly, they say there's no coincidences in murder. Mm -hmm. Yep. So how could it be? Anyone else other than the guy that I had that bizarre encounter, so bizarre that I followed him to the toy department. Right. How can it be anybody else that was there on the same day, the same time, the same location Adam was abducted from other than that strange person I saw walking in there? Right. I knew it had to be him. I just didn't know his name until 10 Mm -hmm. years later when he was captured. When you found out. I found out. Yes, I was at work. You found out his name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. I went to work that night and we were doing paper check. I was going through one of the papers and I got to a, a page and I, I, I couldn't remember what page it was. I just remembered it was in the A section. But then when I wrote my book, I started doing more research and I went to the Brown County Library looking at archives. And I found that, I mean, the article that I read that freaked me out. It said it was about this guy up in Milwaukee who had murdered a, a lot of people in his apartment. And it never said anything about Florida. But when I saw that composite in that article, I knew. I started freaking out. I was talking out loud. I mean, I was saying, this yeah. is the guy. This is the guy I saw in the mall. And everybody kept asking me, Willis, what are you talking about? You know, and I was telling this is the guy that was at the, at the mall there one day when Adam was about. Mm-hmm. That night, I mean, I stayed up all night, just kept looking at the composite, reading the article. And later on, it, it, another updated a story came out that said he was in South Beach. And then that's, I knew this was the guy. So I went yeah. to the police the next morning when I got off of work. And keep in mind, this was 10 years later, 1991, almost to the week. I uh, went to the Hollywood Police Department with the article. The detective, they told me that I need to speak to was on vacation. I, uh, he would call me back. But it took him four months to call me back. In the meantime, oh, right. I, I called the library up. We had a library, which was really uh, a storage room. Yeah. Because they didn't have computers back then. So they used to keep yeah. hard copies of all the newspapers. So I went there and I asked them to look up the composite from the Adam Walsh case. Mm-hmm. Now, back to then, if you wanted to look something up, you had to have a pretty good date because they had files and files with cabinets of all the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had to know where to start looking because yes. nothing was computer. It was yeah. Hand searches. Oh, yeah. Had to do. Yeah. But I had a date, <laughs> July 27th, 1981. I, you know, I remember the date. Yep. So it was easy. Since I worked for the Herald, I was a supervisor. I had a mailbox in the press room office. 
And so they said that uh, they wouldn't charge me since I was an employee and that as long as I use the in-house mailbox, uh, they'll send it to me, which they did. So when Hoffman finally called me back, I went back to the Hollywood Police Department with the composite and that article from the paper that I kept. And I showed it to him. He was the lead detective that was on the case back in 1981. Yep. And I showed him the composite and his jaw dropped. And I knew he knew something, but he wasn't telling me. And I didn't know what. I wouldn't even know until like years later when they closed the case and I got a hold of the case files and I started looking through them. And I realized that composite I had wasn't from the Hollywood Mall. That was the one from the Twin City Mall that Hoffman completely dismissed. Okay. It's a spitting image of Jeffrey Dahmer as well as the Hollywood Mall. Mm -hmm. So that's what he knew. Yeah. That I didn't realize. Yeah. And he went into full cover up mode. Of course. I believe it was at that moment when I went in there and showed him that composite. He didn't want anybody to know how much of a bumbling, stumbling, idiot detective he was, mm-hmm. as John Wall said, mm-hmm. because he was the one that was dismissing everything and zeroed in on James. Cameron. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. So. And yeah, I, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I believe because, you know, they say a, a lot of the evidence from Otis Tool disappeared because it was in the possession of Hollywood Police Department in their, in their storage mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything disappeared. You know, the carpet that they kept from this vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I believe um, they claim it was lost. And I believe lost is another word for expunged. Mm-hmm. I believe Hoffman got rid of is it. the one that got rid of all the evidence. Yeah. To protect his own narrative. Right, Kelly. There's an old saying, when you mess up, never fess up. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's what they're doing. They don't want anybody to know. Milwaukee does the same thing. Mm-hmm. There, were, uh, there was a murder right in the same building where Dahmer was. If you look at Dahmer's 17 murders, they yep. put on him. Dean Vaughn is not in that. How did that person die? Okay, He was in apartment 308. Okay. Dahmer was in 213. Okay. On the second floor. Yeah. So, Dean Vaughn lived on the third floor. Now, Dean Vaughn was found in his apartment dead. Yep. Now, they claim he was uh, drugged, strangled, and sodomized. He was found on his bed, face down, with his pants down to his ankles and sodomized. That's exactly what Dahmer did to his victims. He would drug them, strangle them. Yeah. Right. Keep in mind, this was four months before he was captured. This was an open homicide at the time he was captured. Is it still unsolved? Is it unsolved? Oh, yeah. It's a cold case. Oh, yeah. Go to the Milwaukee cold case files. You'll- I will do that. Yeah. Yes. Do that. You'll see Dean Vaughn in there. And you know what else you'll see? The Milwaukee Police Department has a statement in there. If anyone knows anything about this case, please call this number. <laughs> oh, Wow. Well, like they're trying to solve it, right? I think that's crazy that they didn't immediately go to Jeffrey Dahmer, who lived in the same they did. building. Oh, okay. They did. Okay. Oh, yeah. They went to everybody in that building. There's 39 apartments in, in, in that building, the Oxford building. Yeah. There was 39 units. They went to every unit because they knew it had to be somebody, whoever murdered the born had to be somebody within the 39 units of the Oxford building. Because it had a locked door. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it had an intercom system. Okay. If you lived there, you had to mm-hmm. use your key to get in. If you were visiting, you had to use the intercom system to get buzzed in. Okay. 
So they knew it most likely wasn't somebody outside. Right. So they did interview everybody within that building. When they went to Dahmer's apartment, yeah. they interviewed him. He claimed he didn't know the one. He didn't even know the guy. And they said, well, can we look around your apartment? He said, you can look all you want. But they never went into his bedroom. Had they gone into the bedroom, they would have found two dead bodies, one in the bathtub and one on his bed. Wow. But yeah, they never went into his bedroom. And like I say, it was an open homicide. Well, anyway. Well, did they collect any DNA at the scene of Dean Vaughn's murder? That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Okay. Okay. Keep in mind, this is 1991. They could have collected DNA. I'm sure they do have some, but they don't want to solve the case. Right. Because, and I'll get into that. But anyway, I started calling some of the people that lived in that building. The woman that lived across the hall from Dahmer claimed she told the police that she saw Dahmer going with Dean Vaughn to his apartment that very night he was murdered. Wow. Yeah. That's good witness testimony. <laughs> that should have been a red flag right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, they don't want any red flags when they don't want them. Yeah. And the reason for that is when Dahmer was captured just weeks before he was captured again. Okay, he was captured because uh, Tracy Edwards escaped from his apartment. That's how he ended up getting captured when Vic managed to escape. Okay. And flagged down the police. But weeks before that, there was another kid that escaped. He was a a 13-year-old child. Mm, Wow. A Loatian Asian kid Mm -hmm. that escaped. He was wandering out in the street, but naked. And the reason he escaped is because Dharma was trying to make a zombie out of him. That was one of his experiments yes. that he was doing. He was drilling holes in people's uh, skull and injecting watered down muriatic yep. acid yep. into their brain. Yes. And so that's what he did with this kid. And he thought his zombie experiment was working so well that he went to get some beers uh, at a local bar on State Street, I believe it was. And while he was there at the bar, his so-called zombie escaped and he was wandering butt naked out in the street. His two young oh. black girls found him and they called the police, 911. One girl was 17 years old, one was 18. And so when the police arrived, there's all this commotion on the street and uh, Dharma shows up mm-hmm. coming back from the bar and he goes up to the cops and he says, oh, that's my 19-year-old lover. And the police said, what's his name? And he goes, Dharma goes, uh, uh, his, his name is... Uh, John, it was like that. Wow. His actual name is Conorax and Basinfone, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Okay. But anyways, the two, the two young girls, they go, he's not 19. Look at him. He's just a child. And the police told the two girls, he said, take off or we're going to take you downtown, which means jail. Mm-hmm. And the girls were insistent, insistent. The police were very close to arresting them before they finally had to take off. They chased them away. And they gave the kid back to Dharma. Oh, my gosh. Dharma immediately murdered him and boiled his skull mm-hmm. and made a trophy out of mm-hmm. it. Right. So keep in mind when Dharma was finally captured several months later that the police were so afraid because of minority groups because mm-hmm. most of his victims were from those gay boys mm-hmm. who were black mm-hmm. and the Asian group because the kid was Asian you know and as well as the uh, gay group. Mm-hmm. were out in large numbers. They were so afraid there was going to be a riot. That's yeah. why they went into cover-up mode. Okay. They didn't want to connect Dean Vaughn or anything else to Dharma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Including Adam Walsh. By yeah. The yeah. Their claim of not wanting to connect Adam Walsh is because they didn't want to interfere with his trial that was going on in Milwaukee. 
Okay. They were getting cooperation from Dharma, quote unquote cooperation, because mm -hmm. it wasn't real cooperation. He was lying about mm -hmm. everything. Hey, everybody, it's Kelly. I wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening to True Crime IRL. Because of your support, our show has grown a lot over the last few months. I especially wanted to thank the people who have recently dropped a tip in the TCIRL tip jar. Cheryl Bullock in Illinois, thank you so much. Your donation was very generous. Hope to see you at our live show December 11th. I also need to thank Jillian F. in Minnesota and Mike G. in Nebraska. If you would like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do that. First, you can go to truecrimeirl.com and click on the donate button in the middle right side of the homepage to drop a tip into the tip jar. Next, you can unlock lots of special features by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash truecrimeirlpodcast for more information on supporting the show. You can buy True Crime IRL merch on the website truecrimeirl.com and click on merch in the top menu. And finally, subscribe to the show and review it. Your five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen is a huge help in getting the word out about our podcast. Again, thank you to everyone who has donated recently. You guys are amazing, and I cannot thank you enough. And uh, they didn't want to disturb that cooperation. Gotcha. So that's why they were covering up the Adam Walsh case and, all, and Dean Vaughn. And many things because they didn't want riots because they, you know, the black community felt like they listened to the white guy, Dharma, over the two black girls because they were minorities. Well, I'm sure that had a lot to do. I mean, that is what happened. Yeah. And it had that is the case. Oh, it did. Yes. It did. Yeah. And that's why they were afraid there would be riots. Mm -hmm. You know? Wow. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, they went into full cover up mode and they refused to even make the connection to Adam Walsh, even though, even though when he was captured, Jeffrey Dahmer, his father, Lionel, called America's Most Wanted and told John, "Wow, he thinks his son murdered Adam mm -hmm. because he knew Jeffrey Dahmer was living in Miami. Yep. Because when Jeffrey Dahmer was discharged from the army, mm -hmm. just like when I was in the Air Force, when you get discharged, you can get a voucher that you take to the airport. Yep. And you can trade it in for a ticket to anywhere you want to go in the United States. A one-way ticket. It's just a one-way. Anywhere. So Dharma chose Miami. Yes, he did. Yep. And I didn't know that before I started researching this case. I just thought, you know, he was in Milwaukee most of his life. That's what I thought. But he really traveled all around. I'll bet I know why you thought that. That's kind of what the media has focused on exactly <laughs> yep. because i would mm -hmm. when dom was first captured i was buying the milwaukee uh cannibal the, yep. the Milwaukee every book that came out on jeffrey dom i was buying them and i was so incensed because none of them mentioned miami some of them mentioned one sentence on germany he went to germany didn't work out he went back to ohio right right that's it yeah that's it he was down here for six months I mean, plenty of time to have killed a lot of people. And I'm sure there are a lot of victims that are unaccounted for beyond his 17 that we know about. I'm sure there are a lot more than that. I can give you one more right yeah. here in Miami. Yeah. Right? Sure. Okay. Uh, when Jeffrey came to Miami, uh, he worked his way over to Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then he had about, I estimated it, 
about 800 and something dollars back in 1981 dollars, which was, you know, an okay amount, yeah. but it, it doesn't last long. Right. You know, so he was renting hotel rooms by the night. He was um, drinking his money up and then he ran out. So he started dumpster diving and he worked his way up to Sunny Isles, okay. Florida, which is north of Miami Beach. And he was dumpster diving behind the strip mall. Around 5 p.m., this manager of the strip mall happened to be taking the garbage out. And he saw this guy eating out of the dumpster. Mm -hmm. This was a community dumpster for the entire strip mall. Keep in mind, it wasn't just his dumpster, yeah. but Dumber was eating out of it. Primarily, you know, food from the his yeah. store. Yeah. And other restaurants, he asked this guy, he didn't know who he was, but he asked him, he says, hey, you know, you're hungry, you need something to eat? So he went inside, made him a sandwich. And he gave it to Dharma. Several days later, he saw Dharma eating out of the dumpster again. And he said, hey, listen, man, do you really need a job or something? And he hired Dharma as a busboy. Now, Kenny, his name is Kenny Halbert. Kenny said that about 10 days after he hired Dharma, mm -hmm. Dharma was taking the garbage out. It was his job. Mm -hmm. And he comes back into the restaurant, the sub shop, and says, hey, Kenny, there's a dead man by your dumpster. Oh, Wow. So I went down and got the police report from the Miami-Dade Records Department. Mm -hmm. The date on that police report says July 7th. Okay, Adam was abducted on July 27th. Okay. okay. And then you deduct 10 days from July 7th would be uh, June 27th, right? Because mm -hmm. Kenny said about 10 days. Yep, yep, so, yep. Yeah, so we're saying July 27th. So June 27th to July 27th is exactly one month. Yeah. So Dharma got the job. He was working at the sub shop exactly a month before Adam was abducted. Okay. Now, in that police report, everything in there is what, quote unquote, Mr. Jeffrey Dharma says, because mm -hmm. they keep calling him Mr. Jeffrey Dharma. Oh. He was a witness. Okay. So what happened was when he told Kenny there's a dead man by his dumpster, so what does Kenny do? Naturally, he goes out to look. Yeah. And he sees there's a dead man there. So he goes back inside, calls the police. Keep in mind, 1981, there's no cell phones. Mm -hmm. So he goes back inside, he calls the police. The police come. Now, the first thing the police ask Kenny is what? Who found the body? Yes. Yeah. They always want to know that. Mm -hmm. So he says, oh, my bus boy. He says, well, get him out of here. We need to speak to him. So that's how Jeffrey Dahmer got his name all over this police report. And I did a, a, um, a video trailer on that. If you go to my website, mm -hmm. frustratingwitness.com and go to the meter room link, you can watch that video with the police report. Okay. All right. This is an old time police report. Yep. You know, it's a standard form that's filled out by hand. Now everything's on their right. uh, laptop that's in their cars. Yep. But anyway, because uh, I contacted the police officer that made that report. Yes. He remembered making that report. Oh, wow. And he remembered the dead guy, but he didn't remember Dharma. He's flabbergasted to know yeah. Dharma was the guy that was the witness that he interviewed. I wonder how long that dead body had been sitting there. Was it still warm? Did he, or, you know? Right, yeah. right, right. No, it was in full rigor mortis. And this is why the police officer remembered the dead guy, because I asked him how he remembered he said because he was covered in ants oh and he was only 16 inches high okay okay that's an old police joke by the way he was in a prone position i i said 16 inches yeah well he was in a prone position but anyway yes so 
had he been strangled? Do you know? I wonder. Well, they, they didn't know that, you know, he was ended up being a derelict. They only do a cursory autopsy. Okay. And they, according to the police report, Dahmer claimed he was drinking all the time. He was sleeping in the meeting room and he went by the name Bobby. So all the information came from Dahmer. So the, the autopsy report says he died of alcohol. Okay. You know? mm-hmm. But also it said that he only had one shoe on. Mm. And the other shoe was found because since Thomas said he was sleeping in the meeting room, the police went to look in the meeting room. That's where they found the other shoe. So my thinking, yeah. since the guy was in full rigor mortis and covered in ants, he wouldn't have been out by that dumpster all day long you know, however many hours it takes you to go into four with more, six hours, eight hours, whatever it is. My thinking was that he was dead in that meter room, murdered in the meter room and dragged out when Dom was taking the garbage. And then he went back in and told his boss, there's a dead man by the dumpster. That would make sense. And the shoe came off in the meter room. Dragging him. Yeah. Yeah. Where they found the other shoe. So when I read that about that meter room right away, I knew, I knew I said, that's it. I made a straight beeline because they had the address on there, 17040 mm-hmm. Collins Avenue. I made a beeline for that store. Mm-hmm. And I went to that meter room. And I took pictures of, of the meter room. And I sent them to another writer. He was arguing, because he wrote his own book. But he, and we, had, we were going round and round about it. It took me a week to convince him that's where Adam was murdered. Because I knew when somebody murders a young kid or anybody... They're going to take them to someplace they're familiar with. Yes. And that would have been someplace Dahmer would, would be familiar with. Because like I said, he was there already working there for a month. Mm-hmm. So he would have been familiar. And he murdered somebody in that meeting room as well. So he would have been very familiar with that meeting room. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking that that's where he brought Adam. And this guy, he was telling me that, no, that had to be a, a dumpster feud, you know, and the guy was murdered, but it was a dumpster feud. And I said, no, 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 no. He was murdered in the meter room, you know? Mm-hmm. And Adam, that's where he brought Adam. So anyways, unbeknownst to me, he went and called ABC Primetime. And they flew down here from New York. And they did a TV show. Oh, wow. And you can watch that TV show again on my website, frustratedworkers.com okay. on the okay. meter room link. And so they did a TV show about the meter room. And it was narrated by Chris Cuomo, who is with CNN now. Yes. Before CNN, he was with ABC. He had a, he was yep. Yeah, and he hosted the show uh, ABC Primetime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Right. And yeah. So when they came down here with permission from the mall manager, mm-hmm. they hired one of the best CSI experts in Florida, if not the U.S. or even the world. She's really that good. They hired her to go into that meeting room. And they pulled all the junk out of there that was in there. And then she found this blood spatter on the back wall of the meter room. Oh, wow. And I have a photo of it in my book. And again, you can go to justiceforadam.com, my other website. Mm-hmm. And you can see the photos there on the, on the um, wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I also have it in some of my video trailers, the, the meter room video trailer. You can, you can okay. see that uh, in a video. And she describes it as being, because she, she found it with luminol lighting. Okay. okay. And she described it as being indicative of a high velocity homicidal pattern. Wow. And she even described on that show how that pattern was created. Okay. Describing that there was a murder down by the floor here mm-hmm. with heavy chopping 
that caused the splatter to go up the wall, mm-hmm. which tells me that the dead man didn't have any blood on him. Right. So somebody died in that meter room. Okay. Yep. Somebody died in there. Yep. This is a high velocity homicidal pattern. Mm-hmm. But yet, when they did the show, they showed the Hollywood Police Department that police report. Mm-hmm. It was Detective Mark Smith that was in charge by now this time of the Adam Walsh case, and they showed it to him. And he admitted he'd never seen that police report mm. before. Yeah. And he said, it's interesting, but it's just a coincidence. Nothing to do with Jeffrey Dahmer. He said, and he, they edited this part out of the TV show. But he said he believes two pit bulls could have gotten in there and had a fight. Oh, that's ridiculous. I mean, high velocity blood spatter. Um, and that is a place where Jeffrey Dahmer had been sleeping at times. And they, they also claim that it didn't fit his MO. Uh, decapitation doesn't fit his MO, right? So anyway, I went to the Miami Beach Police Department because the meter room was actually located in Dade County. Mm-hmm. I mean, not Miami Beach, the Dade County Police Department. Mm-hmm. And because it's located in Dade County. And I talked to the, their lead investigator over there, Chuck McCulley is his name, Detective Chuck McCulley. And I told him about the meter room and the blood spatter. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me um, that he doesn't believe that it has anything to do with Dharma either. You know, so I said, well, how do you explain that blood spatter was described as being indicative of a homicide, mm-hmm. you know, and right. he said by Jan Johnson and he said, Jan Johnson, she's worthless. You hear me? She's worthless. And I said, sir, if she's so worthless, why is she the one that trains your homicide detectives? Oh, boy. Right? Yeah. So definitely yeah. not worthless. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, well, she knew what she was doing. So then he tells me, he said, well, I sent my best detective over there. And he said a bird flew into the wall. I said, well, sir, that doesn't explain how this was described as a homicidal pattern unless the bird was murdered. Right. Right. Did they take any DNA samples of this blood spatter on the wall? They did. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. But and what did they ever find anything or? Well, what happened was it it was definitely blood. Yep. But they could never. Yeah. Tested positive as blood. Okay. So we have a blood spatter indicative of a homicide, but no DNA because of the time. Remember how much time passed. This was in, um, you know, you had like 27 years passed. Plus you have the humidity down here in Florida. Plus keep in mind, this was on a mortared concrete wall. Right. I don't know if you ever know anybody that's worked with concrete mortar, but, you know, it, it's very corrosive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, DNA has very little chance of surviving that type of an atmosphere yeah. or, or, you know, situation. Yeah. But um, so, no, and I even went in there on my own and took some of my own samples and mm-hmm. tested, sent them out to different labs. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, I sent, I spent thousands of dollars. Believe it or yeah. Not, because uh, the only way I thought we could get them is from what I was told is by doing nuclear uh, mitochondrial DNA testing, mm-hmm. which takes like a month and costs like $10,000. Yeah. So I sent it to Orchard Selmark in uh, Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. to have them do it. And they couldn't get anything out of it. And so they sent me my samples back. And then I went and got some more samples on top of that. And I sent them to a local uh, place called DNA uh, Labs mm-hmm. International here in South yeah. Florida. And they also couldn't get anything. And the reason I did that, because when I did it, when I sent them to Orchard Selmark, you know, I put all the correct information. You have to fill out all these forms, you know. Mm-hmm. I put Adam's name in there and everything. 
And my thinking was, well, they do a lot of work with police departments. Maybe they just didn't want to find it. Yeah. So I, when I went to the international cell mark DNA testing in, in Boca, Raton, yeah. I made a, I filled out erroneous information in the police report. I kept the information that I needed to have mm-hmm. relevant, mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the play, the, the um, I mean, the time frame and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But I didn't put Adam's name down. I just put victim. Probably a good idea. You know, and why? I just put victim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some things like that. And I made, I, the location, I made it far away from that. I, I didn't want them to know exactly what this was for. What you were doing and yeah. And sure enough, when I went there, when I went there, I saw all these plaques on the wall mm-hmm. in the lobby from police departments all over the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that may be even more leery that, yeah, they do do a lot of work for police departments, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I believe the doctor, when she told me that she couldn't get anything, and of course, they didn't charge me the $10,000 since they couldn't get anything. If they would have yeah. gone for full month testing, you know, I yep. would have had to pay that much, but it yeah. didn't. So uh, yeah. I paid a fraction of that, fortunately. Wow. Well, not fortunately. I wish I would have paid the full amount if they could have got the NA. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. And solved it. Yeah. But uh, no, they couldn't get anything, which is really sad. But there's more than enough evidence to prove that it was Jeffrey Dahmer. You have so many witnesses and, and mm-hmm. you know, facts, you know, that he was living here, that he, right, did, right. Yep. he was a quote unquote witness to another mm-hmm. murder, mm-hmm. you know, that they will never connect to Dahmer, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. like I said, yeah. there was multiple, multiple lies on that police report from Dahmer, you know, when they uh, interviewed him after he was captured multiple multiple they say he was so cooperative you know yeah but he wasn't everything he said is a lie they just didn't want to catch him in the lies you know i can give you a couple examples of lies that he said that they don't want to make the connection when they asked him if he ever owned a gun yeah he says no never that's pretty clear statement right no never what does no never mean no you never owned a gun right 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 but yet in the search they found that there was a, a gun purchased from Don Strike, a gun shop in Milwaukee with Jeffrey Dahmer's signature on it. It was a Colt yeah. 357 Magnum. Had a signature on it. So when they showed that to Jeffrey Dahmer, says, why did you tell us you never owned a gun? And they showed him the signature, his signature on that. He says, well, because I thought it wasn't relevant to this case. So he lied. <laughs> so, so, but you lied. Yeah. But regardless of what he thought, he said he didn't own it. Right, one. right. And other t- other things are like when he was in Germany, you know, he was invited to a Thanksgiving dinner by one of the sergeants, along with other soldiers. Mm-hmm. When they interviewed him, they asked him if he ever left because, you know, he was already suspected of multiple murders in Germany. Mm-hmm. They asked him if he ever left the base. And this is only twice, you know, once to go uh, for training in Lansdale and once when he went to Oktoberfest. Yeah. In Munich, I believe it was Oktoberfest. So he went there. And that's the only two times he ever left the base. And then in my own researches, I find out that when he went to Munich, he took a train back to Baumholder and there was a murder on that train. And he jumped off the train. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And he, he I believe he jumped off the train because somebody pulled the, the rope that stops the train and jumped off the person that murdered that woman on the train. And what we do know is when Dahmer did arrive back in Germany late, he said that he got off at the wrong stop. Yeah, I think you're pulling a rope to stop the train and jumping off is the wrong stop, right? 
those are a lot of crazy coincidences and that I probably aren't. <laughs> yeah. And back to the Thanksgiving, this is another time that uh, he claimed that he didn't leave the base. And then um, Carlos Cruz calls the Milwaukee Police Department and tells him about the time he went to uh, invited Dharma at his house for Thanksgiving. And Dharma had left. After they ate, Dharma left because they had an argument over the sleeping arrangements. And he was gone for four hours. And when he came back, he had blood all over him. He was completely disheveled. And he came in. And when, he, when he first left, you know, they didn't think a whole lot of it. But when he returned four hours later, they said his jacket was warm to the touch, even though it was like sub-zero weather because they, they told everybody to stay over for the night because it, a blizzard mm-hmm. started coming in mm-hmm. and worked the way back to the base in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, when Dharma came back four hours later, back to, to Carlos Cruz's house, mm-hmm. he had blood on him and he went into the kitchen. He washed himself off real good. And he was just sitting at the dining table and just staring into space, according to Carlos Cruz. Carlos asked him, what's going on? What happened? And Dharma said, I think I did something bad, but I can't talk about it. And to find out that there were two women murdered on that base. Wow. Nobody ever wants to talk about these things. Like I said, in Miami, that derelict, nobody, you'll never hear about that derelict. No. You know, that was, I believe, murdered by Dharma. Yeah. Well, this has been very eye-opening. I did not know these connections with Germany and Florida and all of this. So this is great. I've learned a lot more about potential Jeffrey Dahmer victims. So I would just like to say, if anybody would like to go to my website, yes, frustratedwitness.com and you can get much more information. It's all free. Yep. So you can watch video trailers, you can read reports, you can listen to radio shows I've done with other witnesses as well. Oh, I was going to ask that. Have you spoken with other witnesses from the mall? Oh, I've contacted most all the witnesses. Oh, wow. Okay. The ones that would talk. There's a couple that didn't want to talk, but yeah, most of the ones that wanted to talk, I've talked to them and I've done radio shows with many. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. And um, yeah. Yeah. So you can go and listen to these shows. Terry Keaton, the 10 year old from the uh, Riviera Beach. Now you can listen to his statements. I did with his mother as well. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. incident, keep in mind, mirrors the Adam Walsh case. Yes. Okay. Not just the person they saw, but the entire incident. The only difference is Ravey Walsh went to the Hollywood Mall with her son. Mm-hmm. to shop for a lamp, right? Yes. Ginger Keaton went to the Riviera Sears to shop for a dress. That's the only difference. Both of them left their sons in the toy department where they went shopping. Both of them had a, a, somebody try to abduct them with a blue van, white male, six feet. Wow. Yeah, everybody in both cases swears before I even contacted them, they knew it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Obviously, that was the same person. Yeah. Terry Keaton swears it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Ginger told me too. She says they were in the living room watching TV. This is before I ever contacted them. Mm-hmm. When Dahmer made news and Terry jumps out of his chair and says, Mom, that's the guy. That's the guy. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And once they see the person again, they're like, that is the person. Yeah. But again, they say it doesn't fit his MO you know yeah well it does i mean like decapitations not not as i mean he decapitated other bodies he cut all the bodies apart like that's totally part of his mo so yeah yeah and and another thing is that you know i found the axe i still have the axe that was next to that blood spatter really which could be the yeah which could be the murder weapon oh because remember that blood spatter is going way up the wall yeah 
Yeah, yeah. So because that it, his head was not sliced off, it wouldn't cause spatter. It was chopped. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you know, that's another thing that dismisses artist tool. You know, I mean, but there's so much that dismisses him. He was never even in Florida, South Florida, I should say. Yeah. There's so much, but yeah. this is just the tip of the iceberg. It but is. Thank you for explaining this stuff to me and. Yeah, everybody go to frustratedwitness.com. Willis Morgan has a lot to say about this subject and he's done a lot of years of research. So check out his book. It's on Amazon. It's been great talking to you. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk again at some point about more of this. So thank you for coming on the show. Your book just sounds so interesting. It's chock full of information that we have not seen or heard anywhere else. So I cannot wait to read it. I'm really excited. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. It really is. I put a lot of work into this, as you can see. I've been working on it for decades. So, All right. Well, Willis Morgan, author of Frustrated Witness, thank you for coming on and talking to me. And I am going to be reading your book as soon as I can get my hands on it. <laughs> okay. My, my first book came out in 2015. Yes. Okay. The hardcover book on, on the cover said, it's the meter room where I believe Adam was murdered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I have a picture of that meter room. That's the cover. Mm-hmm. And I put a crime scene tape across the meter room. Mm-hmm. And it says, crime scene, do not cross. Yeah. But my attorney told me, my copyright attorney, she told me that every time she looks at that cover, she thinks it should say crime scene, do not investigate. If you look at the second edition, Frustrated Witness, again, that's the one to get because it's more updated. Yes. Okay. Second edition. Yep. yep. Yes. The second edition. It's more updated. And I changed the crime scene tape. The yes. crime scene, do not investigate. Because. Of course, that medium, because they don't want to investigate. They know that that wasn't two pit bulls. The day county knows it wasn't a bird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to come up with something. Don't make it so ludicrous. I mean, that's insane. So if anybody buys the book, second edition, make sure. Second edition of Frustrated Witness. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Willis. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. It's been nice chatting with you. Have a great rest of your day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Willis. Bye-bye. Bye. True Crime IRL is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Barron's Brink. Please subscribe to True Crime IRL wherever you get your podcasts and consider leaving a five-star review. Go to truecrimeirl.com for more information. Support the show by becoming a Patreon donor. Go to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also support the show by leaving a tip in the TCIRL tip jar. Go to truecrimeirl.com and click on the donate button. Or buy merch in the TCIRL merch shop. truecrimeirl.com slash merch. Watch True Crime IRL on YouTube. YouTube at youtube.com slash kellybrinktv. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at True Crime IRL, all one word. True Crime IRL theme music is produced by the captain at True Crime Garage. 